Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest TV, the Wednesday edition. We're thankful you're here and you're able to join us today. Uh, joining us, as always, is Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. How are you doing today, Jeff? Great. Uh, Chase doing well, but once again, this week I'm having a little trouble. It looks like it's going to go live on Facebook, but we are not yet live on Facebook. It's um, slow coming up today. Okay. And uh, well, while you're working on that, I'll introduce Joe. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm just fine, Chase. Yourself? Doing great. Joe currently is in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, um, which is where I used to live before I moved up here to Pennsylvania. And Joe, you're holding a meeting there right now. Is that correct? Right, right. It runs through Friday, uh, talking about holiness and pursuing holiness all this week. Very good. And that's in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky at the Overland Church of Christ. So if you're interested, you can go to cocoverland.com and uh, see some of the meeting times there. Um, well, guys, I, I have an interesting topic for us today. Um, if, if we can uh, dive in, um, Jeff, uh, just let me know when it goes live and I can kind of repeat. I'll, I'll let you know. Let's go ahead and get started, assuming it's going to come up. Uh, and then I'll let you know when we are live on Facebook and you can just give a brief summary of what we've covered. Sounds good. So today I want to talk about Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism is, of course, something is usually used in the realm of Bible terms and first century Bible terms. Because this is something the New Testament writers dealt with in a way in their writings to the early churches. Um, and so when I say Gnosticism, what am I talking about? What, what does the Bible say or what, what does the word Gnosticism mean? So Gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, is a word in Greek that means knowledge. Um, it's a word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20, where Paul refers to a knowledge that is falsely so-called. So there's actually something that was being called knowledge, and it wasn't knowledge. And we have quite a bit of reference, quite a number of references to various aspects of this system of thinking in the New Testament. But it, in short, it was an amalgamation of some Oriental ideas, some Greek philosophy, and some Christian vocabulary. And people that passed themselves off as Christians uh, presented this way of thinking, which which said that physical things are basically evil. Salvation is a matter of some special knowledge that you get that most people don't have. And uh, then they spent their time speculating about things uh, that really have not been revealed by God and, um, and, and often living very immoral lives. And so that was Gnosticism. Right. Uh, so there was this, oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, I just, when, so when we talk about the Gnostics, was that a is that a term that they used for themselves, or is that a a label that is given to those kinds of people? You know, that's a really good question. So, from what I read, this is a term that we gave them. They would not have referred to themselves as Gnostics. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly what they would have referred to themselves. They tended as, but... to refer to themselves as spiritual, mm. right? Because there was this separation of spirit and flesh that they saw. Well, and, um, and, and they would often contrast the word spirit. You know, in, in the Greek New Testament, we have the word uh, pneuma for spirit, and then we have um, the word sar sargs or sarcus. That's not the word I'm looking for. Um, and I can't think of it. Anyway, they, they had a word uh, that I can't think of right now <laughs> that they contrasted with spiritual. But you've got the right idea, Chase. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Suke, soul. It's the word for soul, suke. And they would refer to 
other people as uh, psuchikos, which would be soulish or animalish, because animals are spoken of as souls, but themselves as spiritual. Okay, very good. And, 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 and some of the things that they gave themselves into would be endless genealogies and some different myths and things like that, uh, which is when you have that in mind and you read 1 Timothy 1, uh, in verse 3, Paul says, As I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And, uh, of course, that's at the beginning of First Timothy. And as Jeff referenced, uh, the end of, uh, at the end of First Timothy, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. And so there were these Gnostics, this Gnostic idea that they were fighting against. But there was something that Jeff mentioned early on in his explanation of, about Gnosticism, which is the idea of Gnosticism I want to talk about today. And that is having this special knowledge or uh, this special thing that has come from God, or this enlightenment that has come that makes them different um, and makes them special in a way. And so the question I want to discuss this afternoon with our viewers and with you guys is, is that still around today? Are different religious groups, are different people, just in their thinking and in their everyday interactions, is their attitude in line with what we see from the Gnosticism in the first century and in the New Testament? And if so, how? How and why and in what ways do we see that? You know, just to, to start, it might be good to illustrate from the New Testament this kind of superior attitude that we see John talking about when he is writing to brethren, trying to encourage them in the face of the Gnostic threat. One of the things you see in First John is this uh, repeated uh, line, if we say. And what we learn every time John says that is the, there were people who were tending to say these things, and what they said and how they lived didn't match up. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness. So that's talking about uh, these Gnostics who claim to have fellowship with God. That's First John chapter 1, verse 6. But they didn't live that way. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned. A little bit later on in uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, he that says, I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar. So you just think about this, this kind of person who goes about living a very worldly life and says, I know God. And, and you say to this person, well, here's what the Bible says, and that's not how you're living. He says, oh, but... I've got a special connection. I've got a special knowledge that you can't understand. That's kind of this superior attitude that you're talking about. Sure. Um, and, and why is that? Why, why would people buy into that? When someone says, I have a special knowledge, I have this special revelation that you don't know about, why are people so quick to buy into that? Well, there's, there's no way that you can then speak against what they're doing. Uh, you know, if, if they have been given this, at least in their minds, um, uh, by God, or that they feel a certain way that this is the right thing, and, and, and you can't understand that because you haven't been given it, then they, there's, there's no way that you can speak against it. 
So they right. do what they want. So they yeah. get they get to live an immoral life and look down their nose at other people at the same time. <laughs> it's 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 kind of like the guy who goes and wallers in the in the mud hole, and then he goes around looking at everybody else, saying, "You people are so dirty. You should be clean like I am." You know. <laughs> And, and I think that's going back to that question about, you know, did they call themselves Gnostics? I don't personally know anybody today that would call themselves a, a Gnostic, uh, you know, that I'm practicing Gnosticism or something like that. Um, and so it's not so much whether they call themselves that, but whether they are fitting the description that First Timothy 6.20 and other passages deal with. They maybe just to see it as, as a very broad uh, blanket this idea, even in First Corinthians, you have uh, the the Corinthian brethren. You know they they would say we know this and and so forth. And Paul says, listen, knowledge puffs up. Uh, what you need is is love. You need to follow Christ. You need to uh, imitate the the Lord in those things. Not just because you think you know something does that give you the right to be proud and uh, feel that you're superior. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think along those lines, I, I don't by any means want to name call or anything like that. But I would like us to have a, a discussion about in our different interactions with others, maybe particular religious groups, uh, maybe even among brethren, some situations or some some different things in modern day 2019 America where we see some of this idea. Do you all have any examples of that that you would like to share? You know, many times through the years, I have run into someone who's who felt, and I'm using that word advisedly, they felt like they had the spirit. And I'd try to study the Bible with them and say, well, here's what the Bible says. And they would just be dismissive and say, well, I've got the spirit. And, and you can't expect to understand what I know and because I've got the spirit. If you'll get the spirit the way that I have it, then you'll be able to understand. Well, the Spirit is the one who revealed the things written in Scripture. So I believed I had a communication from the Spirit. But what they were claiming to have is something that was both beyond me and incapable of being examined by me. Um, sorry, I, Jeff, think I, that's, I think yeah. that's Gnosticism. It's not, it's not Gnosticism with a capital G, but it's that attitude of arrogance claiming that I've got some special knowledge that others don't have. Sure. Um, and I, I know I was having a conversation with, with a friend of mine just a little while ago. And uh, even in some of these threads you, you might follow, um, I'm, I'm going to pick a touchy topic here, but in regard to transgenderism, um, especially among the Christian community and trying to sort out and, and find out well, what is this? How can we come across um, loving, but also encouraging them to stay that the, the gender that God made them? In some of those threads, you see these people who are all in on the transgender train and then Christians. And, and unfortunately, you sometimes see this greater uh, prideful, arrogant type attitude coming from this one side, looking down on the Christians and looking down on Bible believers. And they're like, well, you just don't know. You, you just don't understand. You haven't been enlightened yet. You, you just don't understand. And whether that's just with the transgender side or maybe just the atheist side in general, um, that, that is something to be aware of. But I think it comes back to this idea of Gnosticism and the pride and the arrogance that comes out of it, that I know something that you don't know. 
and uh, you, you might just never know about it, and you're going to have to live with that. I think, um, I think the fascination with dispensational premillennialism is somewhat like this in a way. People get excited about being able to think or, or thinking that they're able to interpret all the symbols in the book of Revelation in terms of modern-day events, and they think that they know something that not everybody knows. They think they become some expert with insight into future events. And, you know, they need to spend more time looking at how God tells us we ought to be living. But no, they're caught up. They don't want to talk about what God says about marriage or divorce or, or what God says about uh, sleeping with your girlfriend. They want to talk about all these um, sensationalistic things. Sure. Wait, wait, um, and and it, good. No, Joe, go ahead. I was actually going to segue to, to a point you brought up earlier, so go ahead. Well, I'm just thinking about, like, in First Timothy 6, uh, verses 3 through 5 in particular, uh, seeing these people who are teaching otherwise, and Paul says in verse 4 that, that that kind of a person is proud, knowing nothing. Yes. yes. That is just such a funny statement. So here you've got this guy who is just so arrogant and so full of himself. And Paul says, he doesn't know a single thing. I mean, he knows nothing of value, but he thinks he knows everything. And the next verse then, he goes around arguing with everybody about all of these issues that are either irrelevant or he's wrong on, but he's found a niche. And found a way of, of saying something in a certain way that sort of traps people, kind of like the religious leaders of Jesus they tried to do um, in order to, to build themselves up. Uh, and Jesus would say to them, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Well put, Joe. You know, we were talking to, um, we, every now and then I run into, and I got a call yesterday about somebody who'd run into this. I run into somebody who calls himself a Messianic Jew. Um, and, and usually, not always, but usually it's somebody who's not a Jew by, by blood, but, 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 and, and let me, let me, let me front this with this thought. When we hear the phrase Messianic Jew, a lot of us immediately think, well, that's a good thing. Uh, Jews. That's what the apostles were, right? Yeah. They were Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Yeah. But today, Messianic Jews are often people who are not Jews by blood, but, uh, what they've done is they've decided they're going to go back and put into practice a lot of the Old Testament uh, holy days and uh, observances of uh, diet observances and those kinds of things. And they're kind of selective which ones they think they have to follow. But here's the thing that's so typical of them. They don't say Jesus. They may say Yeshua or something like that. Uh, and they like to use Hebrew pronunciate, pronunciation of various names of feast days. Uh, they like to, to talk about, they like to use Hebrew terminology wherever they can. They don't like the word Yahweh though, or they don't, they don't encourage you to say the word Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things they're quick to point out is you shouldn't say Jesus. You should say, you should say Yeshua because there are no J's in Hebrew or in Greek. And they say that in a way that says like, they're very knowing there's no J's so that you can't say Jesus. Well, here's the interesting thing. They'll turn around and talk about the Jordan River or the city of Jerusalem. <laughs> so 
what all there, and, and they usually, the ones I've talked to really don't know much about the original languages, but they've heard this. There's no J's, and so the real pronunciation is Yeshua, and so I, if I say Yeshua, then that makes me better than everybody else who pronounces it with a J. And that's this arrogance, this, this pride that, uh, that is a lot like the Gnostics, and they're priding themselves in that rather than spending time figuring out how should I live as a follower of the Messiah. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, touching on that, Jeff, is it possible for ourselves and some of our brethren to be of that same mentality and have that same attitude? Um, I, I think absolutely, yes, that is the case. We can also, being the saved people of God, um, according to Acts 2.38, repenting of our sins and being baptized, knowing that we are forgiven of our sins and being the saved, is it possible for us to have this same idea that we have been enlightened and that we have uh, puffed ourselves up to know that we're saved and everyone else down there isn't? Can we be guilty of the same thing? Uh, I think the answer is yes. We have to be careful of this, just like uh, the Messianic Jews, it appears, are, are like that. Um, if you're familiar, guys, or any of our listeners with the AD 70 doctrine, some of the different men uh, that I've talked to that, that believe in that, unfortunately, I think it does come from that want to have that special knowledge. Um, and uh, we've got to be careful in our attitude, but also in our interactions with others, that, that we don't want to make disciples of Christ just because people think we have some kind of special knowledge. Um, so, Chase, you're right. Uh, when you think about it, John says, all that is of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life. Mm-hmm. Boils it down to three categories, one-third of which is pride. And so we have to understand that, yes, we can all uh, become guilty of pride in the way that we talk about our faith or in the way that we talk about others. There is a difference, however, between saying this is right and that's wrong and, and on the other hand, saying what I know is right and you're not able to know it. Uh, yes. And that, that's kind of the thing that characterizes these Gnostic type ways of thinking. Um, the Messianic Jew isn't really, um, he's just proud he's got this special knowledge and you never really can understand because you don't know all about the Hebrew stuff that he knows about. Uh, the the guy with the spiritual gifts, you can't understand what he understands because the spirit hasn't acted on you the way the spirit has acted on him. Um, the Gnostics of the first century, they had a special insight either by direct revelation, some vision they claimed to have seen, Colossians 2, down about verse uh, 17, 18, or because of some secret traditions that had been handed down uh, through the Gnostics that were not available to everybody. And that's, that's the thing that's especially characteristic. And, and we can even become guilty of that. Yeah. And I appreciate you making that distinction. I think that's really clear and, and really helpful. Um, so guys, so another point of discussion along these lines, if, if there's not any other comments on this thread, um, would God give someone special knowledge and to someone else not give them that special knowledge? Uh, and to what extent do we mean that? And what are some Bible passages that, that might help us come to a conclusion on, on how to answer that question? Um, so 
you know, you and I were talking a little bit earlier, and there there were occasions when somebody like the Apostle Paul would be taken either in the body or not. He wasn't sure which, but to the third heaven, and he saw paradise, and he couldn't talk about it. So he had a revelation not not everybody got. But here's the thing. Uh, in First John, where John is writing to Christians, one of the things he does is he's assuring them they all have everything they need to have. Um, God doesn't give certain people special insight uh, that others would need to have but can't get. So, for example, listen to this. This is really fascinating to me. If, if, I, if, I, if the three of us are together and all of a sudden Joe is just, just kind of saying, well, you guys just can't understand, and, and we're going, what do you mean we can't understand? He goes, well, you know, the, the, God has revealed things to me, and maybe when you're as mature as I am, you'll get it. Right now, the way you guys, the way you guys talk is clear. You're just not ready. You're just not ready. On the on the one hand, we could say, "Well, Joe's really full of himself." But on the other hand, Chase, you and I could start thinking, "I, I, I wonder if maybe Joe really is superior. I wonder if maybe I'm I'm missing something here. I wonder if maybe I." I've been left out. And so now listen to John, the apostle, writing to believers who are trying to follow God's word. And I'm going to start in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20. Verse 20. He says, well, verse 19, he says, they, talking about these Gnostics, went out from us, but they were not of us, for they, if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they all are not of us. And you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, even he that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. He that confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning abides in you, you shall also abide in the Son and in the Father. What he's telling them is, you've had it all along, you know it, there's not some secret out there that God has given to these other people that you've, you've been left out of, uh, don't, don't worry about that. Uh, you just focus on doing what you've been taught all along. So Chase, <laughs> Joe's got nothing on us. <laughs> well, I'm glad you clarified that so that nobody was going to be worried that I had some uh, secret information. I like your point even with uh, 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul is describing the man that was caught up into the third heavens and paradise and so forth. Um, because even in that text, he says, this, this gives me no room for boasting. I, I refuse to boast in that. Um, the only thing I'm going to brag about are my infirmities, uh, you know, whatever God has given me. Um, so that I would not exalt myself above measure. I was given this thorn in the flesh, he describes. Everything about the text, Paul says, I'm not going to brag about that. And in fact, he goes on and says there in uh, verse, the end of verse 6, but I forbear lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. 
Um, uh, he, uh, he talks about only speaking the truth in verse 6. So even if he does know something, all he's going to talk about is the truth. And so it's not something that only he can get or only an enlightened few. And that goes along exactly what, with what Jesus has said about the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But some people aren't satisfied with just having the Lord's truth. They want to have some, some special truth uh, that sets them apart. The, 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 if I can tell a story, and, and I don't, we, we still are not live on Facebook. I have tried multiple times to get this to go to Facebook. If we have anybody watching, though, who is a programmer, I'd appreciate your sending us a note, and you can, you'll, you can help me out. But I'll go ahead and tell this story. Um, Chase, did you ever do any programming? Uh, no. Joe, did you ever do any programming? I noticed you asked Chase, and you, you, know, you sort of felt like you had to ask me anyway. Uh, very, very little. But, yeah, I, I don't know as much about it. I, I, had, I had several programming courses when I was in college, but I had one course in a language called APL. What do you think APL stands for? Animal Planet Language. No, it stands for a programming language. Oh, okay. I was close. <laughs> but it, 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 was a, it was a language that was especially used by life insurance companies. And it was an, it was an immensely compact language. You used all these arcane symbols. You didn't just use letters and numbers. You used all kinds of, of, of symbols. And, um, and, and each symbol would be a whole command. And so you could write a long program, what in some other language, some other programming language, might be pages of, of programming. In this language, you could do it maybe three lines or two lines. But you think about that, that would be very difficult then for somebody to, to read or debug. Whereas if it's, you know, each step is spelled out in its own line, then you can go back and you can debug it easily. In business, which do you think would be more desirable? A, a program written so that anybody pretty much who knows how to program could, could debug it and find the errors in it, or a program that only the guy who wrote it would ever be able to understand it? <laughs> yeah, you, you would want the one that everybody can figure out and, and can use it. Right. But... I was guilty of this kind of desire to know something nobody else knew. And I remember telling my professor, I was really excited about APL because I wanted to be able to write programs that nobody would be able to figure out. Kind of the little 12-year-old secret code kind of thing. You know? <laughs> That's the way Gnostics think about religion. <laughs> and it's a prideful, arrogant kind of thing. Yeah. And so the question then is, would God set it up to where only a select few could understand it? Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall given to you. Be given. That's, that's what we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, yeah, but, but didn't, didn't Jesus, though, when, when he was selecting the people who would go forth and, and teach his word, uh, didn't he go to the Gnostics? Didn't he go to these people with, with special information and, and chose those of higher education and, and so forth? He, he didn't just choose, like, common fishermen, did he? <laughs> so, 
So, well, let's see. I'll play along here. Let me, <laughs> let's see. John was an apostle. He was a fisherman. Well, his brother James was a fisherman. Oh, but there was that other guy that they were in business with as a fisherman who was named Peter. Hey, there was Matthew. He was a tax collector. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, the gospel is for the common man. It, it was, it was spoken to and from common people who had not been educated, had not been trained. I think about Peter and John before the uh, Sanhedrin in Acts four, yes. and they saw that they were uneducated, untrained men, but they perceived that they had been with Jesus because they are relying on the Lord's will and the Lord's word. You know, another interesting thing, but I was going to switch topics just a little bit, Jeff, so you go ahead. Well, I just want to go back one thing. We were talking earlier about 1 John 2 and this idea that somebody who's a little arrogant can make people who are doing the best they know to doubt themselves. And so I want to read just a little further. John writes in 1 John 2, verse 27, As for you, the anointing which you received of him abides in you, and you need not that anyone teach you but as his anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is no lie. And even as it taught you, you abide in him. So when you have the word of God um, and it is true and you abide in that, that's all you need. And somebody comes along and acts like they have something you don't have. It's a lie. So along these lines, guys, I, I'm going to put us all on the spot here. And if this isn't something we want to do, we don't have to. But throughout scripture, every epistle we see and every letter we see, we see the writers inspiring confidence in God's word in the people that they're writing to. Right. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Right. And so just as a quick exercise, do you think we could go from 1 Corinthians all the way down to, to Jude and maybe even the Revelation? And look at a passage in each one of those where the writer is inspiring confidence in the people by telling them, you know these things and you have God's word or you have this thing so that you can know it. Do you think we could do that? Where did you want to start with which letter? I want to start with 1 Corinthians. Um, I, I was just looking at 1 Corinthians 2, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, where Paul says, starting in verse 1, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Here is something definitive that Paul is saying. This is where you rested your faith. It wasn't in me. It wasn't in my word, but it was in the spirit and in the power of God. That's where it was. And so I just think that's, that inspires confidence in them and it inspires confidence in us. When we are out in the world and we're getting all these different waves of wind and winds of doctrine, we know what we know because it's right here in God's word. And that, I think that's in essence what Paul is saying here as well. Another passage in 1 Corinthians, before we move on to 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything, 
in everything. You were enriched in him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm you unto the end. Yeah. Amen. Uh, well, let's, let's look at second Corinthians. Um, does any passage jump out to you all there that, that where Paul is inspiring confidence through God's word? What about him? What about something like first Corinthians one or second Corinthians one, uh, 12 and following. Yep. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly to you. We're not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now, I trust you will understand to the end, as also, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, very good. Amen. Um, I, I just realized I completely skipped over Romans. So if anyone has something stick, that stands out to you in Romans, uh, we can go back there in just a second. But while we're moving forward, I, I think about uh, Galatians 1. Um, when Paul opens up to them, he says in verse 6, I am amazed, or excuse me, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And of course, Paul, in the context of this, is preaching against the uh, the Judaizers that had come into the church of Galatia at that time. Um, I don't, yeah, what, say that again. Or Galatians 4, verse uh, 9, now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, I'll turn you back again to the weak and beggarly rudiments wherein you desire to be in bondage again. Yeah, very good. So I, I, I knew that you'd once, but I wasn't going to say anything because you wouldn't have caught on to it. Uh, you know, <laughs> I still haven't been enlightened. I just now learned that there was a book of Romans. So, <laughs> so uh, maybe uh, Romans 12 and verse 3, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who am- who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Yeah. Think sober oh. as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Jeff, it is so foolish, and and I appreciate the fact that you guys laugh at, at, at my uh, humble brags uh, sort of thing, uh, because boasting and being proud, especially in spiritual things, is so absolutely foolish. Yeah, Amen. Uh, I, thinking over to the book of Ephesians, uh, my mind immediately goes over to chapter two. Um, Verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Um, Paul goes on to elaborate on being saved by Christ. And he goes on to say in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So Paul is hitting on this idea. This is something that God has planned before time that we would walk in these things uh, through Jesus Christ. Um, and so this is something we know. This, this was the plan, the predetermined plan of God. And then in the same chapter, down in verse 19, as he's addressing these Gentiles who may feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, he says, you're no more strangers and sojourners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, 
being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And he goes on to say they've been made the holy habitation of God or a habitation of God in the spirit, a holy temple. So he's saying you are just as much God's house as anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Book of Philippians. Philippians 4 and verse 9, uh, 8 and 9, but especially verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So from the apostles who were inspired to deliver God's word, not through some special revelation, am I going to find peace? It's it's going to be through what I'm taught by the apostle Paul and, and those like him. And in Philippians, going back to chapter 2, verse 12, So then, my beloved, even as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's a lot of confidence. Excuse me, a lot of confidence expressed there. Um, I I think even just uh, one book over to the book of Colossians, right there in chapter 1, verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, That's confidence. That's inspiring confidence in the readers that this is what we know, and it's through Jesus that we have forgiveness of sins. And and maybe the opposite side of that then, verse uh, 2 and verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So yeah. remaining in Christ, this uh, king who has delivered us from, from darkness, and, and don't trust the philosophies or the, the human wisdoms. Yeah. Then in First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse uh, 7, he says, they become an example to everybody who believes. In verse 8, he says, to everybody who believes that is in Macedonia and Achaia, In verse 8, he says, For from you has sounded forth the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith to God word has gone forth, so that we need not speak anything. We don't even have to tell people. They've already heard about your faith. Toward the end of uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Um, we are sons of light. We, we come from Jesus. We come from God. And uh, we need to be confident in that. Um, and again, I, I don't know how much longer we want to spend on this, guys, but I just think it is just so impressive um, how these gospel writers are inspiring confidence in their readers about God and his word and those things standing firm. Uh, so then what do we make of people who realize, maybe if somebody's listening to this, the recorded podcast or something, realize, oh, yeah, I do kind of manifest the spirit of, I know what you can't know. Uh, you're not inspiring the same kind of confidence that, that the Apostle Paul was inspiring. Uh, you're, you're just impressing people with your prideful arrogance. Yeah. Exactly. And um, just relating it back to us like we kind of did earlier. Uh, I do believe that there is sometimes that mentality that we are, we are Christians and we are different. Um, and that's okay. We, we need to understand and we need to recognize that we are different and that we are lights in the world, lights in the world full of darkness. But 
we might have this special knowledge from God through his word, but that doesn't make us, that shouldn't make us prideful. That shouldn't make us arrogant. Um, in fact, what it should do is it should inspire us to go out and share this knowledge that we have with others um, while it is still called today. And so, I, again, I just think it's so important that we measure ourselves against Gnosticism and see where we stand. Uh, but as Jeff pointed out earlier in the podcast, that the, the biggest difference between, between us and them is we should have this willingness, this want to go out and share our knowledge. It's not us thinking that it was only us that are enlightened. Um, other thoughts or comments, guys, along this line? So I wonder how, how would you see Colossians 2, uh, 23 uh, as fitting into this idea of Gnosticism? Um, and, and if it doesn't, feel free to say so. But Paul talks about these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I, I think it really is talking about Gnosticism. If you go back to chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul talks about philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And even, even in that language, Paul, Paul is really being a little bit, he is slamming the Gnostics in this section. Uh, they would have really gasped at the idea that they were somehow following after the rudiments or elements of the world. They like to think of themselves as above that. But he's talking about philosophy and traditions and vain deceit. It's mixed in with some Judaistic tendencies. And so you see that in this chapter. But then you come down to verse 18. Let no man rob you of your prize by a, and the, the American standard says, a voluntary humility and worshiping of the angels, dwelling in the things which he's seen, or some translations say which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. There are four things here. First of all, voluntary humility. What that is, is when you impose upon yourself all kinds of restrictions, kind of ascetic practices where you deprive yourself. And you see that illustrated in chapter 2 and verse 21, the, the man-made rules don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. And so the Gnostics would tend to teach these things. Ironically, Irenaeus talks about Gnostics who live very loose, sensuous, sensual, promiscuous, immoral lives themselves, but they would teach their followers that they needed to deny themselves. And so they would impose these, these practices of self-denial on them. And so that's this voluntary humility and then he says, worshiping of angels. The Gnostics were all caught up in these uh, spiritual beings, these supernatural beings, whom they thought they could describe the, the, their genealogy. They thought they could describe who was born to whom um, and, and chart out the whole family tree of these angelic beings. And that was a lot of the speculation and endless genealogies that Paul refers to in 1 Timothy and then dwelling in things which he has seen or not seen. So they would claim to have had some special vision. They hadn't seen it, but they acted like they had. And then finally, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And that's a slam at the Gnostics because they were trusting in their special knowledge that they had their mind, and yet Paul calls their mind fleshly, and the Gnostics thought of anything fleshly as corrupt and that they were rising above it. He says the very thing you're trusting in is fleshly. 
So, yeah, I, I think he is talking about Gnosticism. And then in the part you quoted, he's talking about their man-made rules and saying those man-made rules don't do anybody any good. Even, even the contrast with that, uh, in chapter 1 and verse 25, Paul says, Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see that maybe as a, as a contrast against Gnosticism? Paul is saying God willed to make this mystery known to you, this Christ that you have. This is something you, you know, and God willed it for you to know. There was no special knowledge that you should be waiting on from God. God has given this to you. Do you maybe see some of that there? Yeah, I, I, I think that that's uh, the idea. He, he keeps calling them back to, to Christ and the hope that is in Christ, which yeah. is a message that had been de- declared to all of them, uh, Colossians 1, 5, and 6, and 23. Yeah. The world. Well, guys, we are, uh, we're winding down. we got about 10 seconds left, so I appreciate you guys coming on today and uh, being willing to talk about this. You all have really enlightened me, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but uh, until next week, uh, we'll see everyone at Wednesday at, uh, two, uh, at 3 o'clock. Excuse me. So thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.